going to start with um, um, this quote. So the 29th um, World Medical Assembly held in Tokyo in October 1975, the World Medical Association formally declared that doctors should never participate in torture or partake in cruel, inhumane or degrading acts, particularly during situations of conflict or civil strife. Um, much of the declaration was written about much broader issues in relation to doctors helping torture political opponents in places like Russia, um, Argentina and other countries. Um, but this particular quote, this is article number six, refers more specifically to the problem of force feeding and the force feeding of hunger strikers. Um, the main quote is, where a prisoner refuses nourishment and is considered by the physician as capable of forming an unimpaired national judgment, um, that, that's the kind of quote, uh, you know, to tell us about the sanity of the patient or the mental state. Uh, he or she should not be fed artificially. And this was the first formal declaration of medical ethical standards relating to the management and the medical management specifically of hunger strikers. Um, Possibly even first been introduced in British prisons in 1909 by the British government when it was used on the suffragettes. But it was only as late as the mid-1970s that the medical community formally called it as unethical and unacceptable. Uh, despite years of debates, or decades of debates um, about the subject. Um, so I want to kind of look at you know, why is it so late that false feeding was finally denounced formally by the medical profession, um, the ways in which a procedure that made more sense um, in 1909 uh, in the context of a more punitive and um, paternalistic form of prison medicine, it didn't make quite as much sense in the 1970s. Um, I said in the abstract that I covered the whole period 1990s, 1970s, which was a bit ambitious, so I'm actually going to just focus more on Northern Ireland at the end of the, the debate on, on force feeding. Uh, I'm sure many of you will probably be more familiar with the subject of hunger strikes anyway. Um, unlike in the early 1910s when the suffragettes were being force fed, force feeding has now been performed against the backdrop of stronger concern over human rights, breaches of civil liberties and the conditions of marginalised groups, including both prisoners and Northern Irish Catholics, um, and also lots of debates about the excesses of me medical power. Um, in Britain, one thing I found particularly interesting is um, most people in Britain were unsympathetic to IRA violence and bombings, particularly on the mainland here, um, but nonetheless this didn't um, stop them from necessarily being concerned about the act of force feeding itself, um, about the condition of female prisoners in particular, um, about the motivations um, for people who are going on hunger strike. Um, but the act of force feeding, as it always has done, produced a particularly strong emotional response, uh, more so generally when it was performed on women rather than men. Um, this is a Price Sisters. Uh, there's, there's been a recent film documentary about one of these, Dolores Price. In 1972, the IRA took the bombing campaign to the British mainland for the first time. Uh, and these two sisters were part of, of that process. Uh, if, if you were an IRA member and you were arrested in England, you tend to spend, um, spend your sentence in England rather than Northern Ireland. Um, in keeping with Irish Republican traditions, many prisoners went on hunger strike, often to protest against poor prison conditions or to help secure political prisoner status. And those were the most common motivations for Irish hunger striking. False feeding policies were not actually in place in Northern Ireland where the majority of Republicans were being imprisoned. Um, but in England, uh, the policies of false feeding were still in place. Uh, they've been set in place legally in 1909 uh, and have never been revoked. So if you were an Irish Republican who decided to go out on a strike in England, uh, you were still liable to find yourself being force fed. 
1978, ILA members were convicted and imprisoned for detonating car bombs in London. Uh, and the so-called Winchester Eight included these two teenage sisters, uh, Dolores and Marion Price. Um, and the sisters, along with Joe Kelly uh, and Hugh Feeney, persevered with their hunger strikes until mid-1974, so it's a period of around seven to eight months uh, of being on hunger strike and of being subjected to force feeding on a daily basis in the prisons. Uh, and problematically, the, the sisters didn't actually want to secure political prisoner status. All they really wanted to do was to be sent back home to the Northern Irish prison. So they weren't asking for release or anything like that. They just wanted to be in prison nearer to their home. Even despite the connections with IBA bombings, the sisters forced feeding gained considerable publicity. Um, I'd say arguably the most publicity a case of forced feeding has, um, has been given since all the way back into the subject period in the 1910s. Uh, I think the fact that there was two female prisoners being forced fed really added an emotive dimension to the situation. At the young age as well, and the sisters were 19 and 23 when they uh, first went on hunger strike. Um, so I think the youthfulness as well helped. Um, notably, the hunger strikes being staged at the same time by the two male prisoners, um, Kelly and Feeney, received relatively little media attention in either Britain or Ireland. The main focus um, was on these two. As an indication of the mixed feelings about the sisters, this is a quote from the Kerryman, an Irish newspaper, um, from 1974. It says, Many people have an interest in the future of the Price sisters. The sentences they received were savage. The offences of which they were found guilty were very serious, and few will condone them. And so there's a real distancing from highway violence in this quote. Then the journalist goes on to say, Nevertheless, they are very young and will be seen by thinking people as very much victims of their environments and background. The capacity for subversion ceased when they were imprisoned. Now they are two young people far from their home and friends, at the mercy of a brutal force feeding system which is an outrage against nature. Uh, so that's a very complex piece in many ways that this is distancing from the violence of the Irish organism, uh, but at the same time condemning the British government uh, itself for performing an act of violence upon the two sisters. Um, so there's lots of debates really about the, you know, um, the question about the function of inflicting pain, uh, its purpose in protecting Britain and or Northern Ireland from, from terrorism. Um, there's lots of published accounts about the face of the sister. Uh, in January 1974, Claire Price, who was a sister of two sisters, um, after 78 days of hunger striking, claimed that the two would now be unrecognisable to anyone who has seen them in the Winchester trial. The faces have gone a waxy colour and they are sore to mend their mouths. They are both much thinner and they are complaining that they cannot sleep. Um, I've heard a personal account from one of the sisters as well. Uh, which seems to confirm this sense of physical discomfort and intimidation. It says, four male prisoners tied into the church so tightly with sheets, you can't struggle. You clench your teeth to try and keep your mouth closed, but they pull, push a metal spring device and your jaw to prise it open. They force a wooden clamp with a hole in the middle into your mouth uh, and inserts a big rubber tube like that. Um, and she continues by saying, they throw whatever they like into the food mixes, so orange juice, soup, carton, uh, cartons of cream if they want to beef up the calories. Um, and at the end of the quote, um, it reads, you're in control of nothing, you're terrified the food will go down the wrong way, you won't be able to let them know because you can't speak or move, you're frightened, you're choked to death. Um, and the, the fate of the sisters gets um, a lot of publicity, not just in, in Ireland, but it begins to be discussed in a lot of uh, British magazines and newspapers quite widely. 
Uh, in February 1974, The Spectator equated false freedom with sexual assaults. Um, in a way that well, the suffragettes have always hinted that false freedom was a, in many ways a sexual violation. By uh, well, the 1970s, there was much more open discussion uh, of this, only in relation to female prisoners, though. And the spectator asserted how many of us would want to live after being forcibly fed. This is an experience much worse than they. To restrain, even to punish is one thing, it's a torture, something very different. Uh, the authors go on to compare this to the rapists of Ali's campaigns, the torturers of concentration camps, and the perverters of children. Um, so the spectator was very clear on its views. The force feeding the two young women amounted to torture, assault, and a gross perversion of institutional power. Uh, reminiscent in its view that the worst excesses of those countries seem to be threatening Western liberal society. Um, obviously, in the 1970s, human rights activists were very concerned about torture and um, thus being arguably or could be portrayed as fitting into as a type of torture. Um, also, the framing of the Northern Irish Troubles as having stemmed from civil rights barriers uh, attracted further attention to the fate of imprisoned Irish Republicans. Um, and as well as that the Troubles coincided with a burgeoning uh, interest in prisoner rights. Um, in the early 1970s, there was riots taking place in, in prisons like Parkhurst on the Isle of Wight, uh, and prisons in California as well, on a more international scale. And so there was a broader challenge being posed at the time to the authority of Western penal systems. But according to questions supposedly rehabilitative rather than punitive nature of prisons. Um, decidedly establishing false freedom as a contravention of human rights um, was not an easy task. In December 1973, solicitor Bernard Simons attempted to apply for an injunction and a declaration of right to prevent the sisters from being fed any further. Uh, they insisted that um, constituted an assault on a person. Uh, the application was dismissed. And even within the prison system, public well, opinion was quite divided. The preservation of the rights of prisoner movements and the Herald League for Penal Reform both believed that the government was right to authorise false freedom. In contrast, the National Council for Civil Liberties maintained that false freedom contravened uh, the European Convention of Human Rights, which prohibited inhumane and degrading treatment. Um, so there's lots and lots of complex um, debates going on. Um, I'm going to go more into the medical activism aspect of this uh, and the views from within the medical community. Um, obviously, this is a time as well, um, the 1970s, when the medical profession is um, kind of developing its own um, new medical ethical standards in many ways, which would eventually lead to bioethics. It's after all the featured controversies of the 1960s. Um, medical opinion on the ethics of force for human split. In February 1974, um, the eminent doctor and conservative MP Tom Stutterford. <laughs> suggested on Radio 4 that false freedom didn't actually cause any physical suffering or personal permanent damage. He said that the procedure only took five minutes and he dismissed any claims of torture as grossly exaggerated. Um, but many other doctors remained unconvinced. Um, many saw this as a severe lapse in uh, normal medical ethical standards. Um, and the debate sparked quite a few different questions. One of these was, was false freedom actually safe? John Yudkin gets involved, a uh, professor of nutrition in London, and he publicly states that forced feeding tended to be harmless uh, from, for the most part. He acknowledges that sometimes feeding tube could slip into the lungs, which it could do, uh, but other than that, if the tube went to the right place, then it was a perfectly harmless procedure. Uh, others were less persuaded. 
and out of the price, the founder of the system will take his place at the press conference and the doctors will have the experience and get put in the tube down the wrong way and things like that. Uh, there's also lots of debates emerging about the psychological implications of being forced fed as well as the immediate physical consequences. Um, the second question was did force feeding impact badly on health? Um, in January, after then a month of the force feeding process, the Brixton Prison Medical Officer publicly announced the sisters were fit and healthy. And he also announced that the procedure made the girls choke. Uh, in a letter to The Guardian, prominent consultant pathologist David Stark Murray, former president of the Socialist Medical Association, insisted that force feeding was physically dangerous and psychologically damaging. And there's also a third debate about whether prison doctors were essentially selling the medical services to the government and allowing them to be used um, for political purposes and to kind of um, such get publicised prisoners. Um, Donald Gould, the medical correspondent, say so, I'm not sure that quote up, um, but Gould suggested uh, he was a medical correspondent in the New Statesman. Uh, and he said, when doctors force feed a prisoner, they are acting as agents of the state and not as servants of the patients in their care. The conflict between a doctor's duty on one hand and to his patients on the other is growing all the time. Doctors, as a group, must fiercely defend the principle of their duties to the patients. Uh, so that refers to a much broader debate of the dual loyalty of prison doctors, whether or not their uh, main um, loyalties to the ethical norms of the professions, the Hippocratic oath, and things like that, or is it to the institution within which they work and to the government, which essentially pays um, their wages? Um, so, with noting the interest in the crisis themselves, uh, had a kind of very uh, ambiguous relationship with their doctors, the ones who were forced feeding them. Um, in the prison writings, the sisters wrote, We come to the conclusion that we must sympathise with the dilemma the doctors here find themselves in. Um, you know, they're saying, well, they, they've got all the skills to cancer illness and psychiatric illness, but not idealism. Um, it's unfortunate that they should have to be used in this way because they bear us no grudge or us them. So just, just like the suffragettes, and they also claim that the government was using the prison doctors um, as part of its attempts to um, resolve the issue of politicised prisoners. Our quarrel is with the Home Office only, and I still feel it's a sad reflection on a very noble profession. Um, but then my opinion counts for nothing. Um, I've got a list of crisis of medical reports as well. Um, it does seem to indicate quite largely a vomiting, medical patients, tooth damage, and, and fainting attacks as well. Um, although that's obviously said about the potential psychological consequences of course feeding. So if the doc medical profession generally speaking refused to admit that pain force feeding was painful or traumatic or at least the higher um, positions in the medical profession. Um, activists went and, and tried to prove this in various other ways. In January 1974, 100 demonstrators congregated outside Wormwood Scrubs Prison at an event organised by the Irish Political Hostages Campaign. Uh, some allowed themselves to be forced in the streets in public as people were walking by. Uh, so one elderly Wexford man, Charles O'Sullivan, had to be taken to hospital after his feeding. Uh, he's had some quite prominent people as well. Brendan McGill, the national organiser for Sinn Féin in Britain, also had a tube inserted into his throat and vomiting. Uh, and there was various um, Irish actors and actresses, uh, Siobhan McKenna, Neil Bully, Moira Nate Gronia, uh, also volunteered to be fed. And so some quite um, well-known Irish people. Uh, so you did get this rather um, odd display of, of being force fed and, and vomited in the streets. Um, despite mounting pressure, the British Medical Association 
uh, remain relatively quiet about the issue, uh, about force feeding generally, which caused quite a lot of concern for those who saw force feeding as a severe lapse in medical ethics. Uh, the Irish Medical Times and its aim and mean called for the mass resignation of all Irish doctors <coughs> unless the organisation demanded an immediate inquiry into force feeding. Uh, and then he said that if they wouldn't do that, they would all have to go to the World Medical Association. Uh, but despite Mead's appeal, the Irish Medical Association decided not to condemn their British colleagues by, by quite a large majority as well. Um, they claimed that the claims of force feeding were painful and torturous were quite exaggerated. Um, so the British Medical Association continued its silence. Um, I think one GP, um, Barry Bowman, who, who is the lady who was on the screen a second ago, <laughs> um, uh, she was a, a young London-based GP in the 1970s, and, and she was, I would say, probably one of the most outspoken people uh, against force feeding at the time. Um, she, um, and I actually, she's still a GP now. I, I identified her and um, found her a few years ago and did some oral history research with her. Um, and she, uh, a lot of her campaigns and letters and things like that were reported quite widely in the national press at the time. Uh, she was a very active person. So one thing I was really interested in it is why, what were her motivations? You know, were, were, to what extent was she interested in the politics and organising and issues such as that? Why, why did she choose to? become um, a medical activist as such. Um, Barry believed that false feeding is only justifiable in the case of a person who was having severe mental health issues, um, which meant that they couldn't make a national decision about whether or not um, they should not eat or be on hunger strike. Um, but she firmly believed that anyone who had that um, rational, you know, rationality to be able to make that decision about not eating, uh, they should not be forced fed. When I interviewed her, uh, she recalled that she had become aware of the crisis of prison treatment um, in February 1974 after having a conversation with a young colleague who was, who was politically active in the Irish political hostages campaign. Uh, however, Barry had no interest in or understanding of the troubles of what was going on in Northern Ireland at the time, which, which I find quite interesting. Um, and as she claims, you know, there was no um, obvious political um, motivation towards. Um, campaigning against the treatment of Irish Republicans. Quite interestingly, well, she had no personal contact with the two sisters, uh, and she doesn't seem to have initiated any contact um, since the 1970s. Um, so with intervention, she recalled some purely from concern over what she saw as a severe lapse in medical ethics, made worse by the sisters' relatively reasonable request to be transferred home. Um, so many of the members herself was being motivated almost entirely by medical ethical reasons. In 1974, she attended meetings organised by the Irish Political Hostages Campaign and acted as a spokesperson for that group against force feeding, um, despite seemingly not being interested in the complexities of Northern Irish politics. She helped to arrange demonstrations and public rallies in London, Liverpool, and Dublin, at which she would show the funnels to passers-by and on the tubes. Uh, in May, Berry led a group of protesters at <coughs> the headquarters of the British Medical Association in, in London. And delivered a letter signed by 38 medical professionals to the Association Secretary Derek Stevenson, um, calling for a public statement to be made condemning the practice. Um, at this stage, uh, there's a picture which she sent me shows um, they've been forced to be in the crisis for 175 days, which I think is quite a long time to, to have been forced fed on a daily basis. Um, there's some other pictures which she sends, and um, looks like a leaflet as well. 
Um, so she gets all these and it kind of leads Scanlon in for me. Um, in public, Bowman insisted that false freedom was dangerous, psychologically damaging, and ethically dubious. Uh, she claimed that sisters had lost weight, but her father had teeth had become loose. As I said, she actually didn't go and visit the sisters, but presumably, you know, she's got her second-hand account coming in. Uh, and Baby remembered that the false freedom demonstrations were quite potent. I like to think we made an impact on the BMA because we made demands on them to discuss false freedom, and we picked it outside the BMA for Kind of the, the end of this, this kind of story gets kind of quite complicated and a bit messy. Um, in May 1974, the Home Secretary Roy Jenkins finally announces uh, that it was no longer authorising the false freedom of the crisis. Just he claimed at the time that it was because of the low level of population. Uh, in fact, the medical records I looked at showed that the system were quite compliant with the false freedom um, and, and kind of didn't really protest too much after the first few days. Um, but in his autobiography, uh, Jenkins later suggested he felt an impression from the IRA, but not to the public. He was so vague about who the public actually were. Uh, it could be all the human rights activists, or all the medical ethics activists, I'm not sure. Um, in the new statement, Donald Gould again uh, suggested that actually the prison doctors had decided that they were no longer forced to lead. He cited pain, emotional agony, and denigration of human dignity surrounding the procedure and claimed that the doctors had finally had enough. In contrast, Blair Price, the sister's sister, uh, suggested that actually the last time the prison doctor was fed, he had been killed her. Uh, so that's a more cynical interpretation of why um, false freedom was stopped. Vague um, briefly, like the, the debate suddenly goes from, well, no, not false freedom. These two sisters, um, the debate was all a bit like, well, we're going to have to let them die, and what kind of ethical issues was that raised? And the Daily Express and an article which they kind of claimed, oh, salvation isn't too painful after all, things which wasn't very sympathetic. Um, but there's all sorts of debates, um, which is moved later when Bobby Sanderson strikes about the ethics and the issues involved in letting the prisoner die and giving them that choice to not eat. Um, but about a week later, um, another IRA prisoner, Michael Brown, died from the effects of false freedom. Um, as you might have noticed in the papers, um, only strike had a bit of receiving much attention at the time in the media. But the circumstances surrounding his death, combined with the recent publicity awards of the Price Sisters, uh, ensured that false freedom once again quite uh, quickly returned to the forefront of public debate. Um, Roy Jenkins then grants a prison transfer to the Price Sisters, Feeney and Kelly, so they all go back home to serve their time in Northern Irish prisoners. Um, and the medical profession is now under increased pressure to formally align stance on false freedom. Uh, in Ireland, a group of Irish speaking doctors passes a resolution condemning false freedom. Um, and the fact that some of there's much pressure on the VMA to, to refuse to, to condemn false freedom. But at the manual conference, much of the debates and their issues were all about the issue of medical negligence uh, and protecting its members from, from being accused of that. Um, they do kind of stray away from discussing the ethical implications of false freedom. Uh, the BNJ in June publishes an article discussing the legal effects and aspects of false feeding. Um, but the main argument in the piece was that actually doctors who false feed were actually just attending to the normal duties, which is keeping people alive. Um, and then a week later, the journal um, refers to the Declaration of Geneva 1947 of the World Medical Association, which states that I had the health of my patients is my first consideration. Um, but despite that, eventually the, the both the British and Irish doctors do hold a draft declaration of false feeding, 
which is heard in time for the World Medical Association's Ethics Committee in March 1975, which is where I began the, the quotes right at the beginning, um, in which the WMA formally declares for speaking to be unethical. <laughs> 